the Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. And I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. Look at here, fellas. We got ourselves a part five. Oh. <laughs> part five of seven. This fucked up, man. Yeah. It's a long ass series. Yeah, it's, it's fucked up long for a fucked up couple of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, this is a case that's very close to home. It's something that anyone from Southern Ontario or even Canada, as we learned how far reaching this was, uh, was watching and following and is feels close to, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do it justice. And I fucking think I did the damn thing. You did do the damn thing. You you got a deep dive, whereas <laughs> most people kind of get the, you know, so like, here's more or less what happened. Here's kind of what happened with Tim. Yeah, sort of. It's and then like, they still get the shit wrong. Like, yeah. Like, about why they wanted the truck saying like they mm-hmm. were just killing for fun and like it was like no but they did want the fucking truck yes like, they get that wrong a lot and... they definitely were um like thrill killers for yeah. sure that's part of it but mm-hmm. there's so much more encompassing than that mm-hmm. and man i'm just like gonna toot my own horn here like i'm so proud of the research <laughs> and the series and if you're enjoying it can you just like share it with a friend or something <laughs> yeah just be like yo i'm listening to this fucking sick series and this bitch did the damn thing so like just check it out man yeah okay thank you so anyway it's part five again we got another long episode for you so i think that we should just dive in i mean for everyone listening it's been like a week since you heard part four dice in for you it's been about 15 minutes but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think i'll uh start like i always do with a recap. Yeah. So in part four, I told you about Dellen in jail and how he spent his time practicing his strategy for trial and writing letters to his girlfriend, Christina, which was stupid because there was a no contact order in place, but somehow Dellen persuaded his lawyer to smuggle them out back allegedly. and forth, allegedly. <laughs> Again, in the words of Stephanie Harlow, allegedly don't come for me. Yeah. <laughs> I talked about Christina Nutka. And how she eventually pleaded guilty to obstruction. And then I went on like a tangent about how I think she's a piece of shit. And how I think everybody in Talent Circle is a piece of shit. Because <laughs> they kind of are. Yeah. Yeah. Dylan's letters showed he was worried about his friend and roommate, Andrew Michelski, and the potential testimony that Andrew was going to give because Andrew knew a lot about Dylan's crimes, including his desire to steal a truck, which Andrew actually helped with by searching for trucks for sale online. I talked about the trial, including the proposed version of events that took place that night, um, meaning the night that Tim Bosma was murdered. Uh, the you know proposed events... There was three versions. You got Dylan's, Mark's, the crowns. Mm-hmm. And we talked a lot about that. And again, my opinions, which, you know, I do try and keep my opinions out of it. But I fuck like a balls deep in this case. And I feel like I got an opinion or two. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I don't think, think, you, think you earned an opinion or two. Yeah. It wasn't like we were going down a rabbit hole. Like, I think that they were, 
you know, well thought out, but I'm biased. So mm-hmm. we also, um, in talking about the trial, talked about the evidence that was shown to the jury. Ultimately, Dallin and Mark were found guilty of first-degree murder um, of Tim Bosma and sentenced to life in prison with no parole eligibility for 25 years, uh, which is standard in Canada. Life sentences, no matter what, you are eligible for parole after 25 years. Doesn't mean you're going to get paroled, but it's your right, basically, to apply. Yeah. You got the stock sentence. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like I had said, it was not over yet. When we ended part four, I told you that the Toronto police had reopened their investigations into the suicide death of Dallin's father, Wayne Millard, and the disappearance of Dallin's ex-girlfriend, Laura Babcock, who disappeared from Toronto less than a year before Tim was murdered. So that's what this episode is going to focus on. We are going to talk about Laura Babcock. So uh, let's figure out what happened there. Babcock was born on February 12, 1989, to her father Clayton and her mother Linda, and Laura has a brother named Brent. Laura was described as bubbly and fun-loving. Everyone said that, that she was just like this bright light, and she was just so fun and like spunky, and people really loved her. She had graduated from the University of Toronto and was an aspiring actress but those dreams dissipated when she vanished in 2012 at the age of 23. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's fucking young. So young. She's a baby. Yep. So much to discover and learn. Mm -hmm. So many chances to be an actress. Mm Mm-hmm. Laura tragically met Dallin Millard at Toronto's Brunswick House Pub in either late 2008 or early 2009 when she was 19 and he was 23. I'm not sure exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, A couple of articles just said that, either this or that. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, Toronto's Brunswick House Pub? I've never heard of that. So I looked it up. Yeah. And it was a pub that was around for like almost 150 years, but it had, it just closed. Oh. It was on the corner of... uh, Brunswick and fucking Bloor. Fucking Bloor. It was on Bloor. Oh, okay. So you know that it was like oh, Yeah, the hoity toity. Um but yeah, almost 150 years. Yeah. And it just closed. I feel like this happens so much with so many places now. I think the pandemic had a lot to do with it, but then now that yeah. I'm thinking about it actually, I think the article's from like twenty sixteen, so I'm not sure. It might have just been absolutely like true dog shit luck. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, isn't that fucking wild? <laughs> a century and a half. Yep. But that's where these two met, unfortunately. So Laura and Dellen, they they kind of dated for a while. Uh not very long, you know, they ultimately became friends with benefits. Mhm. In 2010, Laura met businessman Sean Lerner and their relationship began. But Dellen was Always in the background because Laura was infatuated with Dellen. Like, she was really into the D. Oh. As in Dellen. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was disgusting. Oh, you should be sorry. <laughs> That's fucked. I know. That was disrespectful. Oh. 
No, I just mean it's just fucked that anyone would be into the D. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Laura really she kept him around, kept him in the background. She, she was totally into it. She had fucking industrial rose-colored glasses on then. Yeah. Because, woof. Yeah. Maybe it was his... Maybe it was just all the cool guys he was just hanging around with, and she heard he was around like rappers and shit. You know, like just get just just do wait. Think about all the cool guys that she's around with, okay? But you cool guys. <laughs> I'm sorry, Steve Brule. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in 2011, Laura began struggling with her mental health. She went to the hospital in August that year and told healthcare workers that she cried all the time and suffered from anxiety and depression. Same girl. I'm sorry. She also mentioned having an intense fear of death that could last for months at a time and even admitted to self-harm. So she was, okay. she was in a rough place mentally. Yeah. After dating for roughly 18 months, her and Sean broke up around Christmas in 2011 but they did remain really close friends. Uh, but the breakup added to Laura's depression. By April 2012, Laura had been to the hospital over a dozen times for issues with her mental health. She saw Dellen on and off to like, like I said, they were friends with benefits. Mm-hmm. So they would just like hook up, uh, hang out. She'd buy pot off of him, stuff like that. But Dellen had started dating Christina Nutka. You know, we know that name by now. Mm-hmm. And Christina became really jealous of his relationship with Laura. And there was what's described as bad blood between the two women, mainly on Christina's end. Like, it, Laura didn't seem to care too much about this kind of love tri- triangle that was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, she kind of just seemed to go with it. But Christina was not having it. She wanted Dellen all to herself. Right. Again. I'm not really sure what's going on here. People seem to, these two women seem to just be like fucking balls to the walls for Dellen. Jesus Christ. I don't get it. Yeah. Dellen. <laughs> I just want to punch him in the face and walk away. Yeah. Okay. Dellen later said in court that he and Christina had an open relationship and that she was aware that he slept with other women, but that's a straight up lie because there's so many text messages where Christina was straight up asking him, like, have you been cheating on me? Do you see other girls? Do you see other women? Is this true? Whatever, whatever. And he would always say no, that he would never do that, especially mm-hmm. with Laura. Like, gross. I would never. And it's like, okay, buddy. Yeah, but like you do all the fucking time. Yeah. And it's because people in this circle would message christina or whatever and be like oh well you know i heard that he was out with laura here and i saw him and laura out over here and he was talking to this girl and he was trying to hit up my friend and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and so christina was like are you cheating on me (laughs) like frequently yeah and he would always be like oh my god no like you're my one and only these thousand the other (laughs) oh my god (laughs) that's a callback to last episode well done to also take the hint if several people are telling you that then right you know. then he then he's not totally faithful yeah, and if he's... you want an open relationship there's nothing wrong with that but you the two people have to agree on that all of the people have to agree on that <laughs> yeah i guess that's true yeah i just mean usually it's like an exclusive relationship and then you kind of decide to try yeah yeah open mm-hmm. like 
that's something that needs to be mutually agreed upon. Yeah. You can't just be like, Christina knew. It was an open relationship. Meanwhile, Christina's sitting Pretty there. Pretty sure I like, left her a note. Um, That's not true. And I actually asked you a lot. And you always said no. Yeah. Well, shocker that Dallin <laughs> was a fucking skis again. Right? Yeah. Trust me, this episode just paints the fucking picture for how greasy these people are. Mm-hmm. On February 26, 2012. Oh, my God. It's my favorite. Sorry. Christina texted Laura, happy birthday. A year ago today was the first time I slept with Dellen. You want to know what Laura replied? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't even know if I could get past that. <laughs> yeah, I do. That's fine. I slept with him a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> when I read that, I was like, oh, bitch, burn. I mean, you fucking teed yourself up for that, though, right? Like. Come on. Happy birthday. A year ago today was the first time I slept with Dellen. And like her, like, and Dellen at this point, Christina and Dellen had been dating for a while. Yeah. And Laura's like, that's fine. I slept with them a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also it wasn't even her birthday. It was like two weeks later. Oh my God. Like this text. Cause like I said in the beginning, her birthday was February 12th and this text was sent on February 26th. <laughs> Christine's not the brightest either, huh? No, I'm telling you, I fucking hate her. <laughs> Throw hands with Christina. Yeah. After on and off text exchanges like that between his ex-girlfriend and current girlfriend, Dallin texted Laura. <clears throat> of course I don't know your disorder. It's yours, and you don't know anyone else's. It's unfortunate you got dealt a bad hand. I don't blame you for your disorder, but it's up to you to manage it. This is your life, Laura. It's all you'll ever have. You can cry and whine about your malformation, or you can be appreciative that you have five fingers and five toes and enough comprehension to read and write. Believe it or not, that's better than the truly unfortunate get. You are harmful to me. Please don't try to contact me until you've made some huge leaps of self-discovery. As I said before, good luck with life. Oh my god. I just feel like you needed to get beat up more as a kid, you know? How douchey is that? Yeah. Malformation? Huge leaps of self-discovery? Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Fucking... Higher than thou, like Jesus, mightier than thou, and all yeah. that shit. Like, oh, it's holier than thou. There, I got there. Oh Jesus God, Christ! Like your ground one comment. We're at ground one. <laughs> I do that a lot. This is why I write shit down. <laughs> you should be better than this. Your AI. As a large language model, I'm not able to make distinctions between ground one and ground zero. Okay, C3PO. Laura ended up forwarding this text, this debacle of five fingers, five toes, whatever nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> she ended up forwarding it to Andrew Michalski. You know, he's always making an appearance. Yep. You know who Andrew is. Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know Andrew. The roommate. Yep. Testimony. He was. He's a callback from the last episode. All of them. Oh, yeah. He's in there. These guys are still around. So she sent forward <laughs> this text to Andrew asking, am I that bad of a person? Because you would read this text message and just be like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Malformation? <laughs> boy, what? 
So Andrew replied, No, you're super nice and mean well, but you just need to think before you say something sometimes. Oh my god, fuck off, Andrew. Laura said, Yeah, Dallin's deaf not a fan of me. He told me, he told Christina that he slept with me before. Ugh, these people cause me so much unwanted drama and bring me into it. Uh. Yeah. Okay, I'm not gonna, yeah. But I mean, like, she was in it. Like, you know. I know. She was in it. By April 17th, 2012, Christina was fucking sick and tired of Laura. And she was texting back and forth with Dellen about how Laura was a virus. She ruins everything. She started to nickname Laura herpes, which is fucking rude. And saying... It's just fucking... It, if someone's like, oh, it just starts like calling some other girl herpes, I'm like, how fucking, how fucking envious are you right now? Right. I'm jealous. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd like, see it more as a smirch towards her than the person she's calling herpes. I agree. Yeah. She, she was saying like oh she's like herpes like she's like a virus that like when you think she's gone all of a sudden she appears and like was saying trying to like make laura an analogy to herpes and it's fucking stupid because christina's fucking stupid mm-hmm. and she was like she's herpes she's ruining everything she has to go Dylan ended up saying that he was gonna take care of laura quote first i'm going to hurt her then i'll make her leave i will remove her from our lives because he's not very fucking smart. He's not a fucking just separate ways. He's just fucking complete fucking Dylan. idiot. Thinks he needs to go on a mission again. Dylan, that sounds incriminating, Dylan. Yeah, Dylan, did you put that in writing? You did, Dylan. Ah, Dylan. Dylan, you put it in writing, Dylan. That's how I know, Dylan. This is a text message that I'm reading, Dylan. Shortly after this conversation with Christina... Dellen asked Andrew to keep tabs on Laura, texting him on May 4th, 2012. If you could keep me updated on where Laura goes to, that'd be of use to me. He says shit in the dumbest ways that just gets him even. I mean, like, I'm thank sorry, God, not... but like. That's why I have to give him this. That'd be of voice. use to me. That'd be of use to me. You could have just said, like, yo, bro, keep tabs on thank Laura. You. Yeah. I could really use that. <laughs> That'd be of use to me. So when <laughs> Dallin texted that, he was like in the States or some shit. I don't know. He was not in Canada. And for whatever reason, he was off in the States buying cars or some shit. Who the fuck cares? So he wasn't able to keep tabs on Laura himself. Mm-hmm. And Andrew did keep tabs on her. He agreed to. While he also repeatedly tried to have sex with her. Yeah, I saw that coming. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, this this episode really helps paint a full picture of these fucking dirtbags. Mm-hmm. So the whole time, Dylan is like, yo, Laura, you know, my ex-girlfriend who I still bang sometimes. She's kind of annoying. And can you, like, keep tabs on her for me? And Andrew's like, yeah, no problem, bro. Like, I'm going to try, try and get with her myself. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yeah. But Laura turned him down every single time. Every single time she was just like, um, no, thank you. Yeah. Fucking losers. Which, in Andrew's defense, like, and it, but you did it with Dellen? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. They're all, she, she I'm just thinking about, like, right? how I, I know, like, groups of dudes that just cycle through the same girl. 
And I'm like, you're so f- just foul. That's weird. And for the girl to just be like, is that what you want? Like, is that what you like, knowing that you've, you've ran through this whole crew? I have no idea. <laughs> like, woof. Yeah. So I just am like, ew, these guys are probably used to that. This fucking mm-hmm. group of little freaks are probably like, oh, you had her, now it's my turn. Yeah. And Laura was like, um, ew, no, it's thank you. It's just perpetuated by, like, constant desperation among all of them. Yeah. 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 Just simping. <laughs> <laughs> by June of 2012, Laura and her dog, Lacey, were couch surfing and working... Oh, sorry. Laura was working. The dog was not working. Oh, okay. Uh, Laura was working for last minute escorts in downtown Toronto. There was always a place. I'm glad the dog was. I know. That's why I was like, that (laughs) sentence I wrote. Yeah, thank you. Needed some context. Yeah. So her, she was couch surfing. She has a dog named Lacey and she's couch surfing at the same time that she had just started working for last minute escorts in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Now, there was always a place for her at her parents' house. They were frequently telling Laura, like, you can just come home. Like, if you don't have a steady place to stay, just come home. Mm -hmm. But Laura hated that if she moved back home, then she would have a midnight curfew. And she was adamant that she would rather stay elsewhere because then she can keep her freedom and do whatever she wanted. Mm -hmm. So there was a sort of, like, sort of a falling out between her and her parents because she wouldn't just move back home and would rather couch surf. I, I get that because like I'd, I would be super abrasive to someone trying to tell me at the age of 23 that yeah. I can't stay out exactly. later than midnight. I'd be like, you watch me. So that's, I know, yeah. right? Like I've, like I never had a curfew. My mom, yeah. as long as she knew where I was and that I was safe or who I was with, I did not have a curfew. Plus yeah. I wasn't a fucking idiot. So like I would come home. Yeah. But, like, I never had a curfew. And I felt so bad, like, hanging out with certain friends who were like, I have to get home. Like, it's almost whatever. Like, I have to go home. And I'd be like, man, I just text my mom. She knows where I am. She knows I'm responsible. Like, I don't have a curfew. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I didn't get that either. And I don't know why you would. I mean, like, unless you don't trust your kid at all. And then yeah. you're like, that gives me leeway to go look for them. But, like. That's true. Like, I never gave my parents like, a reason not to trust me. But. Yeah. Like, straight up, if my mom heard from me, knew where I was, I did not have a curfew. Yeah. And that was, like, forever. Like, throughout <laughs> high school, everything. Let alone when I was 23. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I was doing whatever the fuck I wanted when yeah. I was 23. Yeah. It, like, I don't, I don't understand that. But and I then, like, what do you think happens if you let your, fr- like, let your kid go hang out at a friend's house, like, for a sleepover? Like, they're probably out till, like, at least midnight. That's what I did. Every time I went over to a friend's house or something, we probably like went out and like chilled at the park or something at like till like fucking midnight. Oh, for sure. Um, not drinking beers, mom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like we did. How old would you have been? I don't know, like thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, yeah. Like I was smoking pot by then. Yeah. Like you're just living your life, you know. If you're safe and you're with your we're, friends. We're, we're we're kind of going against our own because <laughs> I was like, well, oh, we did get a bunch of beers, climb onto the elementary school roof, and I'm... then the cops were called and started looking with the flashlight. Okay. But we got away. The so it was point fine. I'm <laughs> making is that helicopter parenting doesn't help anybody. No, you have to trust your kid, and until they give you 
a reason or you don't think you can trust your child, then you kind of have to let the rope get a little bit longer and longer. Mm -hmm. You can't give a 23 year old a midnight curfew. Yeah. And and you know, and then when they break your trust, feel free to just reef on that <laughs> thing. You know what I mean? Like just full harness that. <laughs> but I guess it is different in this case. Cause Laura was, you know, in a little bit of a difficult spot. She yeah. did have this questionable job. She had been in the years leading up to this going in and out of hospitals. So mm -hmm. maybe her parents were like, this is to benefit you. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows what the dynamic was like, but mm -hmm. that was their rule. Midnight curfew. And Laura was like, fuck that. So there was yeah. a slight falling out. Uh, friends also said that at this point in Laura's life, she was using a lot of cocaine. So that might have contributed to her refusal to stay elsewhere than with her parents. Mm -hmm. Not really sure, but um, that's just what her friends say. Sean, her ex-boyfriend that she was still really close with, learned of Laura's couch surfing and the sort of bad way that she was in. Mm -hmm. So he actually put her up in a motel for a few nights and bought her or gave her an iPad so that she could search for apartments. Nice. Which I thought was super sweet. He's like, mm -hmm. girl, you don't need to be couch surfing. Like, I got you. I'm going to put you up in this motel and just use your time wisely. Here's an iPad. Like, you can have it. Start searching for apartments and trying to, like, get your shit together. Yeah. And, yeah, that's basically a little background on Laura and how her life was and the really disappointing sort of intertwined life that she had with all these fucking idiots. I know. That's the most frustrating fucking part. Not, like, like Sean was... and her family. I mean, yeah. like... Dellen and Andrew and Christina yeah. and all of that. Yeah, she just was vulnerable and, yes. and entwined with these fucking morons. Exactly. It's like, oh, I see where this is going. Especially how, like, she she just liked to use Dellen as, like, a dude to hang out with, a dude to give her attention, a dude to bone once in a while, a guy to give her some pot. Like, mm -hmm. she didn't really want anything serious from him. Like, mm -hmm. she's just being a fucking 23-year-old. Yeah. And then you have Christina, who's a, a snake in the grass, who's like, she's herpes. We have to get rid of her. I can't stand her. Like, girl, you're so insecure. It's not yeah. her fault. It's Dellen's fault. If yeah. you want to have a relationship with Dellen, you and him need to work on that. Laura has nothing to do with that. If Dellen is sneaking off on the side to see Laura, that's not Laura's fault. Mm -hmm. Dellen is the one to blame. Yeah. Then walk away. If you cannot handle the fact that your man won't be monogamous, walk away. It's yeah. not a relationship for you. Yeah. Meanwhile, she's just seething on it. Yeah. And like throughout these text messages that you like that I've read through, you can see that she's like supposed to be like in class or working on something else, but she's just fixated on Laura. Texting Dellen, like, oh my God, I can't get over it. My friends are saying that you were with Laura, blah, blah, blah. It's like, like you're because you fucking because he was yeah. and also like d do something about it, which um, is don't be with Dylan. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, honestly, but she's where just, the fuck did the line in the sand? Like, where did you draw one? She's just acting like a fucking yeah. preteen in her first relationship. <laughs> <sighs> As you can tell, I don't like Christina. Yeah, I noticed. I'm like, 
you are not some innocent person bystanding who was just manipulated. Yeah. You were not bound to Delon in any way. You could have ran away from him mm-hmm. at many opportunities. Yeah. It's obviously fucked up when you have a boyfriend who's clearly a murderer, but you had chances before that ever happened. Yeah. To leave. But she's just as much as fucking snake as all of these people yep god it's just so frustrating these people are all fucking garbage humans yeah do you like horror movies do you like hanging out with your friends do you like having a laugh do you like podcasts well you should check out our podcast spoils of horror we're not a review show we're a horror movie hangout where we talk about movies that are lost, forgotten, popular, and bizarre, all in the scary realm. You can listen to our podcast while you're doing just about anything. You could be washing your dishes. You could be washing your cat. You could be washing your genitals. <laughs> <laughs> all forms of genitals accepted. <laughs> we are a fully inclusive genitalia show. Yes, we are the number one ideal podcast for washing your genitals. Our genital Yelp reviews are unsurpassed. Five and a half stars. <laughs> you don't want to know where that half came from. Uh... <laughs> now that you know that, check us out on all major platforms. You can search for Spoils of Horror on all social media sites. Come and hang out with us. We'd love to see you. And your genitals. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> On June 30th, 2012, Laura dropped her dog, Lacey, off at her parents' house, and the next day, so July 1st, she met up with her friend, Stefan Blasiak. I'm not sure. I looked it up on pronounce, like, how to pronounce it, Mm -hmm. and it was like, Blasiak, Blasiak, Blasiak. And every single pronunciation was different. So I'm sorry, Stefan. I don't know. We only have it in writing. I don't know what we can do. Blasiak. I don't know. So Stefan. She met up with Stefan for dinner. He said that she was happy and, quote, excited for life. In the restaurant, he pulled out his phone and started recording her. At first, she was all, like, smiley and giggly, saying, like, no, while he playfully coaxed her to do it. Mm -hmm. So she eventually did it, which was let out a little meow. And then she keeps laughing. (laughs) So he said that he was recording her because she often meowed in public and stuff as, like, a joke. Mm -hmm. Just would randomly just be like, meow. Okay. And he was like, I'm recording you because I need you to see what it looks like. It's like, it's funny. Like, come on, I'm just going to show you what it looks like. So just do it. Yeah. And I mentioned that because the video that he recorded is the last known footage and images of Laura alive. Oh. Alive. Oh. oh. You know what I'm going to say? Yeah, I hate that. Put a pin in that. Yeah. Laura ended up spending the night with Stefan at his parents' house. And the next day, he walked her to a bus stop. Apparently, she was 
catching a bus to go and get cocaine, but he did not know who she was getting it from or where she was going to get it. He just dropped her off at the bus stop. Mm -hmm. And this was the last time that any of her friends or her family, anyone close to her, saw or heard from her. In the days before Laura's disappearance, her and Dellen had been in contact over 100 times through text and phone calls. Okay. It's a lot. That is a lot. On the evening of July 3rd, Laura went to the Kipling subway station where Dellen picked her up and drove her to his house in Etobicoke. That's the like fucking maple court party pad situation. Right. Okay. Yep. Around 7.30 p.m., Mark Smitch received a text from Dellen. I'm on a mission back in one hour. Oh, God. It's just never, you never get over it, do you? It just Mm-mm. sounds fucking sad every time I hear it. So he picks up Laura, texts Mark, I'm on a mission. About an hour after Laura was picked up, her phone completely disappeared from the network. It ceased all activity. It was gone fucking destroyed or just very very deep underground or underwater or underwater yeah the next day the ipad sean had given laura the one that he was like girl just take this get your get yourself situated look for apartments do whatever you have to you can have this just take care of yourself Mm -hmm. that ipad was connected to Dellen's home computer and renamed mark's ipad what fucking idiot. On any Apple product? Oh, You're my fucking dumb. Do you know how serialized God. an Apple product is? It's, oh, yeah. They're like, fucking paired to an account, like, right away. <sighs> They're fucking tethered. So Marlena, which is Mark's girlfriend, she later testified that she saw Mark and Dellen deleting files from this iPad that she's never seen before. Mm. The same day, Dellen uses his cell phone to take a photo of an object wrapped in a blue tarp at his farm in air. Oh. He then placed a rush delivery order for a new mattress. Wow. So what I'm saying, the video that Stefan took of Laura is the last known footage of her alive. Yeah. It's because it is believed that Laura's body was wrapped in that blue tarp. Yep. There will be a photo of that on Instagram. For the morbid uh, curiosity out there. On July 14th, both Sean and Laura's family filed a missing persons report with the police. When the police learned that Laura had some mental illness work, uh, mental illness and was doing escort work, Mm -hmm. they did not take the report too seriously. They didn't really seem too concerned at all that Laura disappeared. It's kind of just like, hmm. Yeah. You know, high-risk oh, lifestyle, right? Whatever. Yeah, there's no no reason to investigate. Which, I, I mean, makes sense why her case received minimal attention until down the road mm-hmm. when Mark and Dellen are charged for murdering Tim. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, Uh-oh. I guess we might have to kind of look into that, eh? Yep. On July 22nd, uh, 23rd, Mm-hmm. Dellen texted Mark. Oh no. I'm going to prep for these. <sighs> Don't say mission accomplished. 
barbecue has run its warm-up. It's ready for meat. I hate them. I know. I hate them so much. I know. And then guess what he does? What? So Dylan texts Mark that. And then he does a Google search for cremation temperatures. Thank God he's a fucking idiot. I know. Like, thank God. It's insufferable, though. Yeah. So later that evening, Mark and Marlena are going to hang out with Dylan at the hangar in Waterloo. Mm -hmm. And as Lena later... As Marlena later said, to, quote, celebrate a successful mission. So that's why they were going over to hang out with Dylan. Mm-hmm. When they arrived, Dylan and Mark ordered Marlena to stay in the car, to just leave them alone, sit in the car, listen to music, while they, quote, tested the machine. And Marlena did because she testified that it, it wasn't unusual for her to be ordered around by them. Like, mm-hmm. Mark would often, like, call Marlena, like, his bitch and just had no respect for her. And Dylan was just a skeezy with her. And at this point, Mark and Dylan are, like, 23, 25. Mm -hmm. And Marlena was, like, barely 18. And she was a high school dropout. Like, she was just in over her head. Yeah. So she was used to them just being like, yo, bitch, like sit in the car, listen to music. Don't fucking come out here until we come and get you. Yeah. So she did sat in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, Dylan, then when he's hanging out with Mark over near the hangar doing what they're doing, mm-hmm. he Dylan takes a photo, multiple photos on his phone. The first photo is Mark posing in front of the hangar. The second photo is Mark posing in front of the incinerator. And the third photo and video is of something burning inside of the incinerator. So in the video, it's like a video held up. It's dark out. And in the frame, you can see a like street lamp. Mm-hmm. And then there's just... Um, embers? Yeah, embers. Mm-hmm. Like crackling and dissipating like in the frame. And then the photo is of something actually inside the incinerator. And forensic examiners later review these photos and testify that they resemble human bones. Yep. It's amazing that this guy's so fucking stupid that he takes a photo of, here's where I am. Here's what I'm (laughs) doing. Here's what's in the incinerator. And here's who I'm with. Yeah, and here's who I'm with. Mm -hmm. Amazing. This guy just is like... He just wants he just wants the investigators to know. He thinks he, he 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 is so dumb and full of himself that he thinks he was above all of this. Yeah. God, it's infuriating. Mm-hmm. In late July, Laura's last phone bill arrived at her parents' house. So her parents are still worried at this point. They're like, "Cool, we reported her missing. The cops don't give a fuck." Mm-hmm. But we got this phone bill. Let's look at it. So they look through the phone bill, they contact all of the numbers on it, which are her like friends, and they're just asking for anyone that's answering the calls, do, like, do you have any updates on Laura's whereabouts? Have you heard from her? Have you seen her? Like, do you know anything? And they also tell Sean that the phone bill arrived. So Sean goes over to 
Laura's parents' house and he looks at the bill and he notices that the last eight calls made on Laura's phone before it ceased all activity were to Dellen. Yeah. So Sean texted Dellen on July 26, 2012 at 11 p.m. I have a little text exchange here. So do you want to um, help me read it? Sure. Do you want to be Sean or Dellen? I don't think I could pull off the Dellen Okay, you can be Sean. Okay. So you start. I'll turn my laptop around and move a bit. Okay, so that's Sean. Hi, Dellen. This is Laura's friend, Sean. I'm not sure if you heard, but Laura's been missing for the past three weeks. I was wondering if you've been in touch with her at all. Heard about that. Don't know where she is. Sorry, sorry, he didn't say that. <laughs> Thanks. I'm looking at her phone bill. I see she spoke to you a lot around the end of June. The last eight calls she made before disappearing were all to you. Did she mention anything about where she might be going or with whom? For what it's worth, I'm not looking to get anyone in trouble, just really concerned for her safety. And then there's another text saying, not trying to point a finger, just wondering if she might have mentioned something in passing that could help us find her if you don't know anything that's fine but kindly reply to confirm receipt message received doesn't sum up in a text message shall we grab a coffee later today or tomorrow yes anytime after three this afternoon how about 410 starbucks in chapters across from square one north side of rathburn okay see you then Thank you, Dyson. That was hard for me. Jesus <laughs> Christ. As soon as I would have gotten the like message received, I'd be like, over and out, fuckwad. What the right? fuck is that? Hi, I'm really concerned. As you know, I've literally dated Laura. We're still good friends. She's been in a bad way. Have you seen her? Heard about that. Don't know where she is. Yeah, I'd be like, this guy did fuck it. Fuck you. I'd be like, he, this guy fucking did something. <laughs> right. And like, the way he like... He's so dismissive. Well, like, the funny thing is, like, if I read that, like, you see how, like, short all his messages were, and it tried to pass it off as dismissiveness, but he's trying not to incriminate himself. And that's why and he's it's saying, so clear. I can't sum it up in a text message. How about we meet for coffee? Because then we can just talk in person, and I don't have to put shit in writing. I would immediately go to the cops and be like, hey, like, this is going down. I'm about to go meet with him. I'm a little concerned for my safety, but, like, I'm down for a wiretap if you are. <laughs> like <laughs> they haven't, they would not ever do that though, because they have nothing that yeah. shows Dellen knows anything. Yeah, and they're not even taking her disappearance seriously at this point. Yeah, like this is just Sean going rogue on behalf of her family, basically. Yeah, to be like something's wrong, mm-hmm. and he's just trying his best to figure out what happened to Laura. Yeah, and. Honestly, Sean is the hero in this story. Yeah. He, he fucking, he went out of his way to figure out what the fuck's going on. And uh, he was right. Turns out he, he was right on the on the trail. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So on July 27th, which is the, the day after the text messages, mm-hmm. when Sean and Dellen meet up at that Starbucks for coffee, Dellen told Sean that Laura was a cocaine addict and was hounding him for drugs 
And he was like refusing, saying, I'm not going to give you any drugs. Like, you're crazy. Leave me alone. And then he told Sean that he should have, quote, no reasonable expectation of finding her. That's fucking weird. Yeah. And he basically backed up what what this means by saying like she's a junkie she probably got mixed up with all of the wrong people she's in the wrong crowd she was just looking for cocaine like you won't find her Mm -hmm. i was like you know what dylan fuck you you know who the wrong crowd is you yeah that's who the wrong crowd is yeah so go fuck yourself just a complete lack of empathy right off the bat but not realizing how stupid it is to come across as having zero empathy for yeah, a missing so she, person. Sean the whole time is just sitting there like, fuck you. Yeah. You're number one, a dirtbag. Number two, disrespecting someone that I care for and I'm trying to find. Yeah. And three, you seem guilty. Yeah. You wouldn't text me this. You had to make me come and meet you at a fucking Starbucks in yeah. a bookstore to tell me that I have no reasonable expectation of finding her. Fuck you. Yeah unreal (sighs) okay all right here we go get ready for this okay in august 2012 mark invited some friends over to his mother's home in oakville where he was living to smoke pot in the garage right on you know what he did mark wrapped some lyrics for the guys that police would find later written on laura's old ipad renamed mark's ipad now I could read you the note where this rap was written. Mm-hmm. Or I could just play it. We're going to play it. I'm going to play it. All right, we're going to play it. Here we go. Mark Smith rap 2.0. Started off all skin and bone. Now the bitch lay on some ashy stone. Last time I saw was outside the home. And if you go swimming, you can find a phone. Find a phone? What? What? Find a phone. If you go swimming, you can find a phone. Find a phone. Find a phone. You can find a phone. If you go swimming, you can find a phone. Bitch, lay on some ashy stone. Uh, I, um, I want to apologize to our listeners today for having to hear that fucking shit. And, uh, yeah, he was just straight up fucking admitting everything, though, wasn't he? Yeah, it was like, uh, confession 101. Yeah, really, just fucking everything that fucking happened. He made a rap about it, and he wrote it on her fucking iPad. Right! Yeah. Ashy Stone... Um, if you go swimming, you'll find her phone, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier when her phone dropped off the network and, and you had said, um, something about like it was buried underground or whatever. And I was Mm -hmm. like, or in the water. Yep. In the water. And Toronto, as a lot of people know, is right on the lake. It's right Mm -hmm. on Lake Ontario. It would have been super easy to dump it in the lake. And even yeah. if they were in Oakville, where Mark is from, it's still on Lake Ontario. Yeah, in Oakville, you can just go right up to the shore from there and just, like, you're right on the water. You literally, like, one of the main roads, you can just drive down, and you're just driving down water. Exactly. Yeah. So, fucking idiot. Yep. Then, the dudes that were in the garage with him, that he, like, 
invited over to smoke pot. Mm -hmm. They later testified that Mark confessed that he, quote, killed a girl, burned a body, and disposed of it in a lake. There you go. So (laughs) the note that Mark created to write this rap was made on July 24th, which is just one day after Laura's remains are believed to have been incinerated. Mm. So (laughs) has her iPad in his possession doing God knows what on it, Mm -hmm. goes, meets up with Dellen, burns her body, and then writes this rap and shows it off to people. Yeah, and then tells people that he killed someone. So dumb. Cannot write someone more dumb. Yeah, fucking brilliant minds at work here. (laughs) In May 2013, as we know, is when Dellen and Mark were charged with the murder of Tim Bosma, and that is when the police reopened their investigation into Laura's disappearance. During multiple police searches of Mark's bedroom in his mother's home in Oakville, they found a bunch of incriminating things. So they had found uh, Laura's red duffel bag, which had an ID tag on like the end of it. And when you open the tag, in Laura's handwriting, it has her name. Oh my God. And then there was the iPad that was given to Laura by Sean, renamed Mark's iPad. They had Mm -hmm. found that in his bedroom. Yep. And I think I have it somewhere else in my notes, but I just want to, I don't know if I do for sure. So I'm just going to say it now. That red duffel bag, it's like, like an overnight bag. They found it in Mark's bedroom. What do you think it was full of? Uh, her, her items <laughs> at this no. point. No, um, no. Cocaine. Do you remember when I was telling you in part three that Mark Smitch, a tw- tw- mid-20-year-old, mm-hmm. was on parole, probation for spray painting? It was full of spray paint? Yeah. Oh, my fucking God. Isn't that so painful? Yep. It's fucking ridiculous. <sighs> Again. Spray painting graffiti on the highway overpass is something a 12-year-old does. Yeah. This fucking guy is like 23, 24 years old. Mm-hmm. He has a dead woman's overnight bag in his room full of spray paint cans. This is so stupid. I so had to, stupid. I had to mention it now because I, I don't remember if I put it in my notes elsewhere. So I was like, I got to tell you guys. Yeah. Fucking painful. Fucking painful man child. Yeah. Dylan and Mark were both charged with the first degree murder of Laura Babcock. They pleaded not guilty, and the trial began on October 23rd, 2017. Hinging entirely on circumstantial evidence as to if Laura was dead and if Dellen and Mark were responsible. So at this point, when the trial happens, her death had occurred five years prior at this point and her remains have never been recovered. Mm-hmm. 
The jury were kept in the dark about a number of things to ensure that their verdict was not swayed. So, the jury was kept in the dark about uh, one, two, three, four, five things. Okay. They were not informed that both men had been found guilty of the first-degree murder of Tim Bosma. Therefore, they weren't told his remains were disposed of in the exact same way that the Crown alleged Laura was disposed of in the incinerator. Okay. The jury was not told about the pair's missions or the idea that they committed crimes for the thrill of it. And that kind of goes back to... Uh, part four, when they were appealing their conviction, saying the jury should not have been privy to this. Right. Okay. So just to avoid anything like that, this jury wasn't privy to that information. Unnecessary, but they were going to do it anyway. Right. The jury did not hear about Christina Nudga's guilt in obstructing justice for Tim's murder. And in fact, Christina was not allowed to be called as a witness at all in Laura Babcock's trial. She was kept completely out of it. She was not allowed at Laura's trial at all. Okay. The jury was not informed about various filings from Dellen and Mark. So, for example, they had filed um, a severance. So, in court sort of lingo... That means that they were asking to be tried separately. Okay. They didn't want a joint trial the way that Tim Bosma's trial went. Right. And they had also filed for a judge alone application. So there would be no jury. Um, they were claiming that it wouldn't be a fair trial because there was too much notoriety and publicity and all of that. So they had filed for a judge only. Okay. I could see that one. Mm-hmm. That one makes a little more sense to me. Yeah. So the jury wasn't, they didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. Finally, the judge allowed Dellen and Mark to sit at a counsel's table instead of in the prisoner box um, for a couple of reasons. The main reason is that court staff set up black curtains on the outside of the tables so that they could shield the jury from seeing their leg shackles. Because remember, at this point, they're already serving a life sentence. Mm -hmm. They are serving a life sentence for murdering Tim. So they didn't want the jury to be swayed by showing that they were detained in any way. Right. Okay. But then the other reason is that in this trial, Dellen was representing himself. He didn't have money for a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Mark had a lawyer, but he was representing himself. So he kind of had to sit at the counsel's table. Okay. But they didn't want to sway the jury so they allowed this like black curtain to be up to hide the fact that they were detained okay at trial the crown's theory was that laura was murdered to get rid of her interferences with Dellen's new relationship and put an end to this love triangle mm-hmm. the crown said laura was murdered wrapped in a blue tarp and hidden on the farm until the incinerator was operational then, on June 23rd, Dellen and Mark met up at the hangar and burned her body. Checks out, honestly. Yep. Like I said, Mark had a lawyer, but Dellen defended himself because he did not have any money for a lawyer. And the fucked up thing means that him defending himself 
he was allowed to cross-examine witnesses. Oh. Including those close to Laura, like Sean, and even her own parents. Yeah, that's fucked. That Isn't actually it? shouldn't happen. It is a messed up. It's fucked. Yeah. And he knew exactly what he was doing. And there's like articles of how it went down when he was like cross-examining Laura's father being mm-hmm. like, oh, are you nervous? And like just being a fucking prick about it. Yeah. And he was actually repeatedly admonished by the judge. Yeah. Um, the judge was giving him like repetitive warnings for pointless questioning and asking the same question over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that judge basically, his patience was wearing thin with Dellen because he was being a fucking idiot prick. Yeah. But I just thought that was so fucked up that he's allowed to cross-examine the parents of the person he's accused of murdering. Yeah, I, do, I don't understand shit like that. Like, that shit shouldn't be allowed, period. And even if there's like, oh, well, it's like a... it. Even if someone was like, okay, well, there's like reason why. I'd be like, okay, well, then the judge should at best give one warning and like they should default to thin fucking patience. Right? And even like, like for example, Laura's parents, they were pleading with the judge like i don't want to be cross-examined by this guy like come on Mm -hmm. i don't want this yeah and it's like basically delin's right yeah see like that's what i mean like i knew that they were gonna be like well it's his right to do it and it's like okay but like he's representing himself like you better fucking have my back up there to at least make sure that he doesn't pull any bullshit so it does seem like that sort of fucked up loopholes (laughs) Canadian mm-hmm. justice system has so many loopholes. <laughs> um, but at least it does seem like the judge was like, I recognize that this is fucked up and I will easily admonish him for being a, a stupid idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The trial lasted nearly eight weeks with jurors beginning deliberations on December 12th, 2017. On December 16th, the jury found Dellen and Mark guilty of the murder of Laura Babcock, even though her remains have never been recovered. After the guilty verdict was read, Dellen swiveled in his chair and stared at Linda, which is Laura's mother, mm-hmm. and shook his head like, no, oh, this can't be. I would never. And Linda just stared right back and smiled. Yeah. I would just give him the quick bird when right? the judge wasn't like, looking. I'd just be like, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself, you stupid fucking idiot. Nice uh, hair. Nice haircut. Yeah. And I would hope that, I don't know, because they still got the court cartoonist or whatever. I hope yeah. he got that. I hope he got that. I'd be Not like, check I this saw. out. You ready? <laughs> Not that I saw. <laughs> Man. It's a shame. Sometimes those uh, courtroom sketches are beautiful, and other times you're like, Oh, oh yeah. yeah what the fuck you do to her <laughs> my favorites uh the well i mean like how often do you hear about the court cartoonist ever right but oh uh, what was that epstein's uh wife or girlfriend or whatever oh she, Elaine. yeah she would like they did like a news interview with the guy who like did the cartoon thing just to capture the moment and Elaine maxwell Gillian Maxwell, yeah. Yeah, okay. And she was apparently like, 
trying to mean mug everyone like giving like super dirty looks and like writing like and like angrily writing and like looking at people and glaring so the cartoonist made sure that was exactly what he captured was her giving like mean angry like made her look evil as shit yeah but apparently yeah apparently she just you know like your lawyers are usually like you want to be presentable you want to seem friendly and nice like you've got neck tattoos and stuff covered up completely neutral yeah, or yeah, very, very, very neutral. Do not let your presence have a negative effect. And uh, no, yeah, she was having none of that. She came in and fucking wow. glaring at everyone, just looking super evil. So, of course, the cartoons was like, evil. yeah, she, well, she was like fucking like scowling at oh. people. Yeah. So anyway. Gross. You know, yeah. I actually don't know anything about Gillian Maxwell. I don't know. Like in the grand scheme of things, I don't even know very much about Epstein. I just know that he had like some sort of like trafficking bullshit oh, absolutely. with kids, and it was he like... had like a legit island and was affiliated with literally anybody. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I just think the picture is probably yeah, so much bigger. So much. This is not like people. <laughs> this is not me making a comment about something like in the disappearance of Walter Collins when I was like, you know, tell him Millard something. Should I cover that one next? No. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm not saying that because I, I don't want to cover that one. It's no. a billion things and it's just really fucked. And no, there's probably no. that and case so is many... so high profile. I'm sure there's a million podcasts that have dedicated their energy to that. I just don't need to dive, dive into the whole, like, Every aspect of it, even to his own suicide. It's like, oh, God, like, oh, sorry. Was I it? am not saying, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like, I have my opinions, but like, do I think like he just, fuck, I don't know. I don't know. No. Yeah, no, He's not really. obviously murdered. Yeah, I don't fucking know what happened, man. Since Sketchy the one who knows nothing about the case. Wow, it's, we've detoured. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, okay, anyway. But, uh, yeah. I wish there was a, a little cartoonist there to capture the moment. And that she gave the finger. She gave the finger. Linda and was, like, was like, "Fuck you, Dallin." Because I and the, and, the, and it just had like the the judge was just like looking away. <laughs> Either way, like, even if the judge was looking, what are you gonna do? This woman just heard her daughter was in fact murdered by Dallin, yeah. and uh, I've never seen this courtroom sketch. This is absolutely something Del- uh, Dyson wants. Sorry, Dyson, I almost called you Dallin. Uh, okay, that's actually a line for me. That's actually is a line for me. Don't ever do that again. I at least admitted it, called it out, and I will never do it again. It's because I've said Dallin 98 times in the last three hours. Yeah. This courtroom sketch that you've described about Linda giving a finger does not exist as far as I can tell. But yeah. I bet we could make it. Mm. We could probably do that. AI will help us. Oh, it sure fucking would, actually. Yeah. So anyway, I'm going to get back on track here, okay? All right. <laughs> so Clayton and Linda Babcock attended the trial every single day, which sounds exactly like Charlene and Tim's family going to the trial every day. Mm-hmm. And Clayton and Linda said that the verdict was, quote, welcome, but did not ease their family suffering. Another quote is, we've sat through a six-week funeral for our daughter, Laura. And you all know what a wonderful woman she was, as well as the pains and struggles that she faced. You also know about the evil beings that took her life. And if society is lucky, we will not see them again on the streets. On February 12th, 2018, Dylan and Mark attended their sentencing hearing. Ironically, this date actually marked what should have been Laura's 29th birthday. 
Wow. 29. Yeah, fucking young. I'm 29. Yeah. I feel like a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, first-degree murder comes with an automatic life sentence with parole eligibility after 25 years, as we know by now. But since they, as in Dylan and Mark, were already in prison with that exact same sentence for murdering Tim Bosma, the judge had to decide if they would serve their two life sentences concurrently or consecutively. Oh, right. Do you know the difference in what to tell the people? Uh, concurrently means that it's at the same time you were, so you'd be serving your sentence of 25 years for both murders where consecutively would be one and then the other. So 25 years for Tim. And then once that's done, 25 more years for Laura. Exactly. Yeah. Good job. Thanks. That is beautiful. Yeah. So that's what the judge is up against. He, the judge has to decide, okay, so do we just lump it all together? Mm-hmm. Or do we make them? one after the other. Laura's family gave a heartbreaking speech at the sentencing hearing, which is normal. Usually at a sentencing hearing, which happens after the verdict is given, um, like days, weeks, months, however it works out, mm-hmm. the family always has a chance to address the perpetrators, the people who are convicted of the crime, and give an impact statement of some kind. So the family of Laura went up and they gave, like, a really intense impact statement. But the one quote that I read was like, wow, Mm -hmm. that's intense. So they had said, few parents will ever have to see trophy pictures of their beloved daughter's remains being cremated. These images will haunt us for the rest of our lives. I mean, holy fuck, yeah. That's pretty fucking... That really puts it into perspective, actually. Yeah. So that goes back to what I was saying when Stefan out at the dinner restaurant video that seems so wholesome of him videoing Laura meowing. Last video known of her alive. Mm -hmm. Then, like I said, Dylan had taken photos of Mark outside the hangar of Mark outside. um, Sorry, in front of the incinerator. Mm -hmm. Then of the embers floating around. And of what forensic examiners said looked like bones burning in the incinerator. Mm -hmm. And the family of Laura, who showed up every single day to trial, had to see those photos. Yeah. And had to hear forensic examiners testify that they are nearly certain those are human bones. Yeah. Fucked up. Yeah, pretty fucked up. Crown attorney and lead prosecutor Jill Cameron said, quote, these tragic crimes defy explanation. Dellen and Mark are selfish predators who delighted in murdering innocent people. Justice for Laura demands a separate penalty for her murder. Otherwise, they may as well have gotten away with it. Yeah, so I this agree. Is, like we're talking about, it's a sentencing hearing. It's to argue and on the Crown's end. That they deserve consecutive sentences, not concurrent. So February 26th rolls around, and the judge agreed with Crown Jill Cameron. 
deciding that Dellen and Mark were to serve their sentences consecutively, meaning they were to serve a minimum of 50 years, which means no parole eligibility until 2063. Nice. The judge, a man named Justice Michael Code, said, okay, uh, just for clarity, this quote is a little bit longer, but it's also kind of like a mashup of quotes that I just put together. So like okay. through reading different articles and kind of piecing together what he would have said in his like sentencing, mm-hmm. I just made like a paragraph. Of just the amalgamation of his quotes. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> just to be clear. Yeah, he didn't not, say this in no, order. You're not going to find a direct quote from a newspaper that is this paragraph, but it's basically what he says. Okay. This repetition of two planned and deliberate murders also arguably requires separate punishment to deter potential serial murderers who are thinking of going on to commit a second murder after successfully committing a first murder. Millard unsuccessfully attempted to prove that there is a good side to his personality. In my view, Millard is skillful and clever in delivering pro-social behavior when it is to his advantage. The overwhelming weight of evidence from text messages to his criminal behavior is that he is profoundly amoral and dangerous. Mark Smitch is just as culpable. I am satisfied he was pleased and enthusiastic to be a part of the murder. Wow. So, yes, that was a sort of um, amalgamation of quotes, but it gets the point across. Yeah, it gets it's us into the... piecing together articles for what Judge Code said and putting it, I just kind of put it in order that he would have said it. Yeah, because this is rationale and puts us in his headspace among all this kind of shit. He's basically saying... He's a fucking psychopath. Yeah, he's saying, yeah. Dylan, you're a f- fucking freak. You are so capable of manipulating the people around you, especially when they are sort of dumber than you. You are so likely to do this again, as you've proved, because you murdered Laura and then you murdered Tim. And Mark, you fucking piece of shit. You are more than culpable. And I'm so satisfied that you are pleased and enthusiastic to participate. Yeah. Like he's, there's no doubts. There's no lingering doubts in his statement. He's for a fact saying, fuck you both. I'm incredibly satisfied See, to hand down this sentence. If I was a judge, my statement would probably be like, Dellen, I knew I was going to give you consecutive sentences the moment you opened up a can of Purina in my courtroom Ew! and started eating it. And Mark, I decided you were going to get consecutive. When the first bar of that of that fucking rap you made me play in my courtroom. I don't think I'll get the stink out no matter how many <laughs> steam cleans I have to make in this fucking place. Ashy Stone. What? What? Ashy oh my Stone. god, he just repeats it over and over and it's Isn't like it gross? Oh my god. Yeah, the context of it is fucking disgusting. And it's like you know what? Like he wouldn't survive like anywhere near an actual like gangbanger in toronto like the moment someone finds out that he fucking did that he'd have been shot anyway. Gang- real gangbangers are not high profile like these two fucking idiots no real gangbangers creep in the shadows and come up when you least expect it and people like mark and Dellen are their prime fucking targets 
mm-hmm. because these people want the lifestyle, think they have the lifestyle, and are an embarrassment yeah. to people who are truly about that life. Yeah. Yeah. Have fun in fucking prison. Yeah. Fuck those two guys. So with that very impactful statement by Judge Code, the two were led out of the courtroom to return to prison. And guess what the cherry on top is? What? They were crying. Really? Mark and Dylan were like teary-eyed. They weren't like weeping, like loudly crying, but they were teary-eyed with tears coming down their face. And they were like so sad. Oh, that's beautiful. I know. Good. Mark immediately filed to appeal the conviction. And by immediately, I mean literally the next day. (laughs) Yeah. And he stated four main points for the appeal. Quote, verdict was unreasonable. (laughs) Misapprehension of the evidence. Errors of law. And consecutive sentence too harsh. So... I, I knew that was no, coming. No parole eligibility for 50 years is too harsh. I knew that was coming because isn't it like not very common that That there's... is not in the Canadian justice system. That is not common at all to have consecutive sentences. That yeah. is so rare. Yeah. But at the same time, like I 100% agree with the decision to do it. Me too. But like I knew it was coming because like they're obviously going to go for the odd thing out in the case. Right. So like. Yeah. I just feel bad for the family to have to hear that the very next day. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't have had to hear it the next day because a, the actual appeals court won't happen immediately. So mm-hmm. they have the right to file an appeal whenever they want to. Yeah. And they, as a convicted criminal, you have so many appeals that you're allowed to file. Mm-hmm. The thing that matters is when the judge or a judge actually gets around to reviewing the appeal and giving you the court date for it so that can happen immediately or that can happen years down the road Mm -hmm. so you can file whenever it's just a matter of when appeals court will actually happen yeah so mark just kind of got it out of the way immediately like you know he's entitled to so many appeals might as well bang it out right away Mm -hmm. dellen filed an appeal as well. It just wasn't as quick as Mark. And Dellen argued, quote, that it was unreasonable to convict him of Babcock's murder and calls his sentence, quote, unduly harsh as well as unconstitutional. And, quote, that the judge assigned to the case should not have let him represent himself during the trial. (laughs) That's my favorite part. (laughs) You shouldn't have let me use my own words. (laughs) Which is stupid, because he has a right to do that. Hey, I was held to account for my own actions. How dare you let me take my right to defend myself? Oh, my God. His is grasping at straws. At least Marx makes some sort of sense. Dellen's is like, Because Marx is through a filter of a what I'd imagine is a reasonably intelligent individual. Yeah, he actually has right? a lawyer. Dylan yeah. is literally his own lawyer. Yeah. So Why, like, judge, did you let me represent myself? That's your fault. Unbelievable. And like, what, what was it? He like, 
I mean, could he not have gotten a lawyer? Like, he couldn't afford a lawyer. Yeah. So no. Oh, they they wouldn't just give you one though. I don't know how it works in Canada that way. Mm. I think you still have to have an like if you want a lawyer, I think you have to pay for one. Mm. I don't really know in Canada if you. Whereas like. Usually it's like, oh, if you don't have a lawyer, one will be appointed to you. But I don't know if that just means counsel. Yeah. Well, either way, uh, I don't really care. He should be in prison for 50 fucking years, period, before he can appeal. So, yeah, I just looked it up. And in Canada, you have the right to counsel. So, like, when it comes to any sort of interrogation and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. anything outside of that, like, once you're charged with a crime and you're going to trial, like gotta find legal representation on your own oh okay yeah yes clarify that (laughs) (laughs) even with the trial concluded the verdict in and their daughter's murderers behind bars for at least 50 years. Clayton and Linda's battle was not over. Even though they spent nearly eight weeks at the trial for their daughter's murder, they had the absolutely ridiculous task of jumping through hoops to prove to the Ontario's office of the chief coroner that Laura was actually dead. What? Yes. Okay. So, in the eyes of Ontario Superior Court of Justice, Laura was dead with her murderers behind bars. But because her remains were never recovered, the coroner's office never issued a death certificate. Okay. Yes. So, her family had still been receiving mail for Laura. Like, government mail, her voters cards, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they had contacted these entities saying, like, my daughter is dead and literally at the hands of two convicted murderers. So these entities are like, okay, then give us the death certificate. And they didn't have one because of this weird policy and communication gap between these institutions. So even though it stands to reason that if someone is convicted of murder that alone should satisfy the requirements to issue a death certificate Mm -hmm. stands to reason but no no that's not the case oh my god so this family has gone through hell eight weeks of a trial to find out that their daughter is definitely dead and definitely murdered by these two monsters they still have to go through this process so to have a person officially declared dead when no remains are available, Laura's family had to get a court declaration by going through the Declarations of Death Act, which means the family has to go to court to establish Laura's death through either, quote, circumstances of peril. And that just means that it includes situations where no remains are recovered. Mm-hmm. And typically, like, a circumstance of peril is used in like a boat, uh, like a shipwreck or a plane crash, that kind Someone of stuff. Someone was like missing at sea or there's a terrible yeah. accident. Yeah, okay. 
So that's typically what circumstances of peril are used for. So they have to go through the court with circumstances of peril or they have to go through a lengthy investigative process once seven years have passed since this person is last seen. I fucking hate our system Me too. so much. It's disgusting. So How? while Linda Babcock was dealing with this whole ordeal of trying to prove to the Ontario coroner's office that her daughter is dead, mm-hmm. even though it's been fucking justified that she's dead, there's two people behind bars for killing her. Mm-hmm. She's fighting this battle. And she said she, quote, wants to see a legislative directive that in situations where a murder has taken place, the coroner's office will accept a conviction as a judgment that a person is dead, body or not. That would close the loop as part of the trial process instead of forcing a grieving family to prove a loved one's death after the fact. That's just such a no-brainer. What the fuck is an investigation seven years down the road going to conclude other than what the fucking trial did seven years earlier. I know. Unless you got fucking Sherlock Holmes on the fucking case. Isn't it painful? And like, yeah. It's painful. It's brutal. And her family was suffering. Yeah, that's that's fucking sick. That's just that's just absolutely fucking negligent on the government's part. And that's that's something that like one fucking person should be like, absolutely fucking not. Our government needs to change it now. And it's over. Like, no debate, just... Well, that is a good point to make. Yeah. So a spokesperson for the Ministry of the Attorney General told CBC News in an email that the ministry is, quote, looking at ways of facilitating the issuance of a declaration of death in such cases upon conviction. No one wants grieving families of murder victims to have to prolong the difficult and public court process they experience. So someone was probably just screaming internally at the government going, this is fucked. You all know it's fucked. We have to change it. And how many times have you seen that, though, where people are like, yeah, 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 shut up. And they keep moving. Yeah. In this case, that didn't happen. It actually appears like the Ministry of Attorney General's office took this very seriously. Mm. And they did follow through on correcting this. Yep. And on December 9th, 2019... Ontario amended part of the Vital Statistics Act to make it easier to register someone as dead when no remains are found. Well, fucking good. Okay. And Laura's death certificate was personally delivered to her parents by Ontario Premier. 2019? Was that Doug Ford? It was Doug Ford. That was old Dougie? Old Dougie went personally to the Babcock's house and he delivered Laura's death certificate. I love that for them. Me too. A lot. Don't really love Doug Ford, but no. But I mean, the head of the province. Yeah. Our personally our coming premier. down and delivering you that after it's like... Ontario has amended their Vital Statistics Act, so yeah. families like Laura's no longer have to go through this fucking dumbass process. Mm-hmm. A court, the Ontario Superior Court of Justice. Yeah. Found Dellen. And Mark, responsible. Yeah. No other family will have to go through that. Beautiful. So I just thought that was a nice way to end this. Absolutely. I love that. Me too. Yeah. And the fact that they took it seriously. You don't have some bullshit email from some fucking schmo at the ministry saying, 
this is wrong and we don't want families to grieve more than they have to. And then they sleep on it. Yeah. Like they actually fall through. Yeah. And I think that's a really amazing feat for the Babcock family and also just for the government here in Canada in general. Yeah. Although it's not in Canada, it's for only Ontario. Yeah, it's just Ontario. But still. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, God damn it. That's actually really nice. Yeah. Because they, they can be fucking talking out of both sides of their fucking mouth. But yeah, beautiful. So that is the tragic story of Laura Babcock. I'm so sorry Laura had to be involved with all these fucking asshole idiots. You got Dellen, who's Dellen. Christina, who's a raging bitch. Andrew, who's a fucking freak, who's like Dellen's minion and is still trying to fuck Laura. Mm-hmm. Like, all of these people are dirtbags. Yeah. And she had to tragically get wrapped up in it. Yeah, she was just in a spot that, like, needed, like, obviously support and community and it's sad she, she could have had it like yeah her parents did want to help her they were going to enforce stronger rules but they wanted to help her there was always a place for her and then sean who <laughs> even though they had broken up they were still like good friends and mm. he was trying to help her he put her up in a hotel and gave her an ipad like that is the kind of friend you want like sean is the hero of this story yeah he's a great person it's just devastating yeah that this is her end. 23. She's a baby. Mm-hmm. And fucking disgusting Dallin Millard gets his mitts in there. Yep. <sighs> I fucking hate him. Me too. Him so much. They're just so much like everyone knows a group of people like this. Can't get past it. But I like know. these guys are just extra fucked because they actually do fucking yeah, the, violent They follow acts. through on horrible things. Yeah. And you just you just wonder like how the fuck they got away with that for so long though, like you'd think like they they it's not like they're fucking rocket side they're fucking up at every move they make it's just like they weren't taken serious like the Laura's yeah. disappearance wasn't taken seriously initially nope and it's like meanwhile like this dude's buying a burner phone and driving to the murder scene with his actual phone <laughs> like that was like a year later yeah yeah still. I know I, but that's what I mean like yeah. he should have been locked up fucking way quicker yeah. I agree. Anyway. I know. It's messed up. Yep. You know what he is? We know what's even more messed up? What? We still have stuff to talk about with Dylan. Yeah. Because, well, like I said, Toronto police reopened two <laughs> investigations. Yeah. And earlier in this episode, when I talked about things that the jury wasn't told, you know, they were like... We don't want to make the jury privy to certain information. Mm-hmm. I held off on mentioning that Dellen was facing another first degree murder charge. And this time it was for murdering his father. Wayne Millard was not a suicide, people. Yeah. Which I think everyone kind of gleaned that by now. Yep. So, yeah, the jury for Laura Babcock's tr- uh, murder trial was not told that as they were forced to listen to Dylan, he was currently facing another first-degree murder charge. They weren't told that. But Lord. you'll have to come back next week for part six to hear about Wayne Millard's, quote, suicide. All right. So uh, on Instagram, there's going to be photos galore. Mm-hmm. Go ahead 
and follow us over on Instagram, Dark Adaptation Podcast. We got a ton of sources available. That's on our website, darkadaptationpodcast.ca. And like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I've poured my heart into this. Please just share it with one friend. Share this series with a friend. That's it. That's all I want from you. And make sure you come back next week for part six. And then we'll uh, catch you on the dark side. Bye-bye.